you guys drinking? I'm drinking Pennsylvania Dutch eggnog. Happy go. Um, I'm drinking a Guinness draft, and it actually came out not flat. Sweet. Chaz. I'm drinking Jim Beam Double Aged Black. Nice. Jason. I'm drinking a Swamphead Big Nose IPA. Paul. Uh, and I'm doing terrible tonight because I'm tired, so I'm drinking Fair Trade Coffee. Okay. Um, you gotta you gotta lay off a Skyrim, buddy. Yeah, that's that's probably part of the problem. But I'm here. <laughs> and Jason tweeted what beer that he's drinking, so that's you know, in case I forget, it's right there, it's in the record. Yeah, it's high roll. Yeah. Right. It's in the show notes. <laughs> I saw it and I was like, ooh, I'm jealous. Hmm. So we're starting in on Second Corinthians tonight? That's the plan. And we're just gonna get through as many yeah. Pauline epistles as we can. Yeah. Yep. Mm. And I, I don't think we'll have any problem, honestly. It's starting to get, I don't pretty. know. Sorry. Mm? Did you find it? It's starting to get repetitive at some point. Like, yeah, yeah. Between Corinthians and um, Thessalonians, I don't think I have a single thing. Well, <laughs> here and there, but I know. I know really? what you mean. Wow. Like the whole span, like... the span between them is kind of the. Well, it's the Paul show tonight. It's the all Paul show tonight, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know about that. Come on, <laughs> Paul. As is most of the New Testament. Much of the New Testament is, is, either, is either Pauline or claiming to be Pauline. Yeah, that's true. And most of Christianity. <laughs> yeah, I would say that... I mean, I mean... Never mind. I'm not going to do that. I would say that generally Christianity is more Pauline than it is Jesuine, but I don't... I don't know. I don't really have I'd a... Buy the... it, it, it probably just dep- depends on the, the church. Probably. To some extent. Okay, yeah, right. The ones that kind of knock out all the um, misogyny of uh, supposed Paul. Yeah, the uh, okay, just for an overview, there's 14 epistles that are traditionally thought to be Pauline, of which seven are undisputed, relatively undisputed. Hmm. And the seven are Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians... The first epistle to the Thessalonians and Philemon. Those so are the, the authentic ones. Those are the the ones that are generally agreed to be authentic. The other ones are more or less disputed by some scholars. You know. Yeah. They don't. They do not enjoy academic consensus. Ephesians, Colossians, Second Thessalonians, both Timothys. And Titus. And Titus. Yeah. The Timothys and Titus are the pastoral ones, which I think. Even in my Bible, they try to give, they try to like hedge it on most of them. They're like, well, maybe Ephesians was, but um, on the pastoral ones, they pretty much admit that no one can say these are Pauls anymore. Yeah. Now, from my point of view, it, it doesn't really much matter. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know that it really matters to Bible scholars, but I'm more interested in Christianity as a social phenomenon. And the fact is, these letters were accepted as being apostolic and authoritative. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. They're canon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're canon. So that to me, like that, they matter because they're canon, and like other non-canonical works matter because they're interesting. They tell us something about the developing tradition. But these ones matter because they founded a movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's also depending on what church you go to, some people say Hebrews is Pauline, mm. even though I think most people say it, or almost everyone says. Yeah, that. Like almost every scholar <laughs> rejects the the Hebrews thing. I. <laughs> actually had a class at OC where the guy tried to defend Hebrews being Pauline. It was... Wait, at Oklahoma Christian? Are you serious? Yeah, that that bastion of intellectual integrity. <laughs> yeah, that one. He was Stafford North, that old f- mm. Okay. Okay, let's, let's 
get to it. Let's start just ripping through some Pauline epistles. Starting in the second letter to the Corinthians, yeah? I noticed the tone shifts, I thought. How so? The, well, I think he, he gets pretty pissy here. Oh, well, that's you different. Have, have he wasn't pissy at all in Romans. <laughs> well, I mean, compared to the first Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Okay, just to be clear. So I'm trying, it's like a week ago that we read this, so I'm trying to, like, refresh. Yeah, I'm reading back over my what notes. in like, here? Okay, what was I saying? <laughs> One of the things that, this is kind of a general note, but you notice how Paul refers to some of his letters that he wrote to other churches? Or, like, he, he refers mm. to a letter that he wrote to the Corinthians that's not in the Bible. In Second Corinthians, he mentions that. Uh, yeah. And it's like, wait a minute, uh, where's that letter? It's why he said on the Bible. And, and he mentions, like, a letter that he wrote to the Laodiceans, and the so-called letter of tears wrote to the Corinthians. And it's like, wait a minute, th- these ones didn't make the cut. And was that because mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit was only breathing through Paul some of the time? Or was it because, you know, the Holy but, Spirit is a severe editor and doesn't want redundancy? I mean, obviously that's not the case. So say maybe they got lost and they were just written off as unimportant. Or they yeah. were written off as unimportant, so therefore the Holy Spirit allowed them to be lost. I see. Mm-hmm. It's hard to take a providential view of this sort of process. I think <laughs> Corinthian books where they think there was like at least four different letters to the Corinthians. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's like the one... Sorry, there's one he's replying to here where he's he's talking about he said some really nasty things to them and he's kind of like trying to walk it back a little. <laughs> so in two four? Yeah, well throughout throughout Second Corinthians. Mm-hmm. He says he wrote unto them earlier with many tears, and you're like, Well yeah. that doesn't fit the description of First Corinthians, so it must be something else. Yeah. Tears some of think, rage. <laughs> some think that um that the end of Second Corinthians might actually be um uh, a bit of that letter, the letter. I guess it's called Letter of Tears. Oh, the all end, right. The end, like starting when? Uh chapters ten to thirteen. Yeah, there is there is the hypothesis that the Letter of Tears was was for some bizarre reason appended on to the end of the letter that talks about it. Mm-hmm. So it's like appendix to the first letter to the Corinthians is an earlier letter to the Corinthians. If that makes any sense. <laughs> so it's like an email. The zeroth letter to the Corinthians. <laughs> Yeah, they left like the form on it. Oh wait, no, sorry, it's the second letter. So yeah, it'd be one point five. I, I apologize, right? It's one. It would be one point five. Mm-hmm. And that's ignoring the other letters. I mean, we're just getting a very select bit of the correspondence. Well, I'm 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 going to go to uh, a greater length to sound polite in my correspondence from now on. If, you know, just in case I get canonized or some shit. Because I don't want to come <laughs> off as a dick to much later generations. Make sure you don't contradict yourself. Good Wait luck. <laughs> I've done that in the course of a single day on Twitter. <laughs> but not on serious doctrine, though. Well, it wasn't serious doctrine then. Right, good point. Good point. So you never know. Yeah, Paul's kind of defensive at first. He's like, no, really, I'm an apostle. Kind of. This whole book was kind of... I mean, there's... there's Even later on in the book, he gets kind of defensive of his apostleship. Yeah, it's actually that. a section called in the beginning of chapter ten in the NIV. It's called "Defense of Paul's Ministry." <laughs> beginning, of, it's a, it's an NIV. And they label. Yeah, they do those little headers. It's handy. Yeah, 
I, was some, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys have any notes prior to chapter 5. Do you, do you guys have anything? I just didn't I find anything like... Five. Don't all go at once, shit. Mm. No, sorry. No, wait, no, I don't have anything until 8 that I explicitly marked. Jazz? No, I kind of like the uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 5, where he says um, he wants you to have forgiveness for the offender. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a difficult issue I think he's trying to talk about, so that's all. Yeah, notice how he quotes Jesus' uh, sayings about forgiveness here. Oh, wait, no, he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Paul's not into that, really. No, uh, he doesn't seem to be aware of anything Jesus said, ever. <laughs> no, he's not. Except, except the Last Supper. Right, right. That tradition that makes sense. One exception. Apparently very old. Um, I have, I have something in four. Well, uh, do tell. Nothing too big, but four three it says that our gospel is uh, veiled to those who are perishing, <coughs> and apparently the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So, I guess there is just no hope for us atheists. That's exactly oh, yeah. what I was telling about the gospel of FSM. <laughs> I'm like, look, guy, you know, the FSM has blinded your mind to the truth. So, sorry. Speaking of bad analogies. Chapter five. <laughs> Speaking of bad analogies. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5, the new body. There's some great stuff in there. Uh, remember how I, I, I uh, hypothesized that the the guy who ran away naked in Mark was a was a metaphor for somebody casting off his earthly body? And you guys are like, that's that's bullshit, the whole naked thing. What does naked have to do with like being resurrected? Well, right here, baby, right here. When we are clothed, we will not be found naked. And Paul's talking about the resurrection. So there. Definitive. <laughs> Okay, that doesn't quite prove it, but you get what I'm getting at, kind of. I still think Mark was being metaphorical in a really bizarre and trippy allegorical kind of way. He uses clothing as you know as a metaphor for the new body, but then he uses like uh, a tent as a, as a metaphor for the old body, and it, it gets kind of muddled here because he switches from clothing to wait from being naked to being clothed is the first metaphor, and the second metaphor is. Being living in a tent to living in a really nice mansion, right, mm. or something. Mm. Yeah, he switches back and forth from the tent metaphor to the clothing metaphor, and back to the tent metaphor, which makes Second Corinthians uh, five uh, one through ten a little bit confusing. But. That's because he was a tent maker. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. He was also uh, a wearer of clothes every day. <laughs> so say you you don't have to worry <laughs> about clothes. That. You don't have to worry about clothes so much when you walk by faith and not by sight, right? So if, so if your eyes aren't open, you just don't care who's naked? Right, because you're walking by faith. Yeah. As long as you're not trying to recognize people by feeling them. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the second epistle. I just... Wait, we can say on this, but we can't... No, that entire thing is gone. It's gone. It's all gone. <laughs> Chris, the producer, will delete it all out. Where are we? Uh, what, ch- what chapter this are we on? Terrible. It's fine. They're all terrible. What, what's the next thing we're on? Chapter six. <laughs> How about chapter six? In fourteen, we shouldn't be bound together with unbelievers. Yeah. What the hell? And by bound together, that, that, I assume they mean married. That's what I thought. That's what I was taught. Right. Yeah, me as fine. well. But it seems like earlier, didn't he contradict that about the whole that you can be sanctified <laughs> through your. Husband well, yeah, was... he's saying don't divorce him if you're already married to him. Oh, okay. And you're already married to an unbeliever, then that's okay. But don't go out marrying unbelievers. Um, I think? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 
That sounds about right. Okay, so... Warning against idolatry. Belial. There's another mention of Belial, Abby. You see that? Ooh. Yeah. What harmony between Christ and Belial. So that's kind of a nice callback to the Old Testament there. Or at least, uh... Oh, shit. When did when did Belial get introduced? Like, way back in the day. Wasn't it like the... Like, the go-to pejorative, the sons of Belial? Remember that? Wasn't that like in the Torah? Yeah, I don't remember. It's just so much. It's all blurring together. I've read so much Bible. It's just... (laughs) I will look it up again until I find out the answer. Deuteronomy. Children of Belial. Deuteronomy 13. 13. Oh, yeah. It was... They think it's a Hebrew word, and they didn't know the translation, so they just transliterated it as Belial. Yeah, which I think is exactly what the people who were uh, mentioning it in Second in Corinthians like it's just again it's just it's a straight transliteration into the Greek, a somewhat awkward transliteration in this case because it's Belear in Greek, but you get the idea. So is yeah, I love that how just like random words just become personified because no one knows what they mean. Like Satan. Yeah. <laughs> and then other words go from having a meaning to being a title, like Christ. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Christ used to just mean that, you know, somebody who's been anointed. anointed with oil. So, basically like that greasy dude at the gas station. He's <laughs> Oh, I saw, <clears throat> I saw a website that does biblical recreations. Um, you can get your own anointing horn. Oh, so you nice. Can, you oh. can perform a drive-by anointing. Oh, <laughs> sweet, just like in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. you got to have a convenient way of delivering anointing oil. In a very rapid way, so you can quickly exit the castle. <laughs> Badass. Of all the wacky things I've read in the Bible, that one will probably stick in my mind for a while. There's a lot of wacky stuff. So, where are we, guys? Next, uh... Seven? I can tell that Maybe. you guys are excited, as excited about these epistles as I am. Uh, yeah. Well, in Second Corinthians, like Abby said, was a week ago, so I'm like... What do my notes say? Yeah. All right. Do you guys have anything else? Anything else at all from Second Corinthians? I don't have I much. Something except, in eight. Yeah, eight and nine is a bunch of giving and love stuff. Ooh. What do you have? That sounds kind of sweet. I like love. Uh, um, I don't. In my translation, at least in eight nine, um, it says that Jesus was rich. Yet for your sake, he became poor. So that through his poverty, you might become rich. Whoa, that's trippy. He's like the Buddha. Yeah. <laughs> See, it was taught, or in the church that I went to, it was that this was all metaphorical, and that he was rich. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that he was rich, and that you know he had eternal life, he was at God's right hand, whatever, and then he became poor as a lowly earthling, so that you know, for us, so that we could, it was, uh, it was foretelling the crucifixion, of course. Naturally, of yeah. course. Well, I I would buy a a metaphorical interpretation or a, a metaphorical meaning, um, but I mean, who knows? Because he didn't. The gospels weren't around, so I mean, what if they'd written the gospels and followed this, and like Jesus was rich? <laughs> I don't know. They could have made him have like a. I, I don't know any like. Status symbols in ancient Palestine, but I don't know. He'd have, like, nice camels or something. <laughs> but they didn't go that route. They made him poor. Yeah, they made him a, a tech dome. Uh, I, I assume, yeah. 
since Paul never, like, almost never talks about the biographical details of Jesus, like, you could take this to mean, like, just, you know, it's like a metaphor for he was, like, rich because he was up in heaven and then he became poor, as in, like, walking the earth and getting his feet dirty. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise... That's what I'd get. Otherwise, you'd have to assume that Paul knows biographical details, which apparently he doesn't, he generally. Doesn't yeah, exactly. All right, so what else do we have mm-hmm. on... On the book of Second Corinthians? Corinthians? I don't have much. There's uh, some spiritual get... warfare stuff. There's That's some... when Paul defends his ministry again. Yeah, yeah. there's some and... fake... He's like, yeah, yeah I know I'm not, a, I'm not a good speaker, but I can write these letters. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not till later. His big letters aren't till later. No, no, he does... In, in Second Corinthians 10, 1, he talks about how he's timid in person, but he's bold. Oh, yes, when he's, yes. he's, he's good with words, but only when he's writing them down. Or dictating. Perhaps he was dictating. Well, uh, yeah, like 10-11. When I come, my actions will show the same man as my letters showed in my absence. Mm, we'll see about that. What was the bit in 11 he goes off... Um, where is it? I think he goes it's off like, on the super apostles. That's kind of fun. Don't well, take yeah. Who are these hypothetical super apostles? <laughs> is it like the super devil? I just want to know who they are. Who are the super apostles? And why don't they have their own letters? Yeah, what the hell? I've got well, a footnote was, there, but it doesn't help. In I think it's like 16 through 20. I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but where he's talking yeah. about boasting. And yeah. Like, like, I don't no want to boast, but... Yeah, yeah, I don't want to boast, but nobody take me... I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and boast. Like. Just a little boasting, right? Yeah. Right, right. Well, he doesn't want to be taken as a fool, apparently. Mm-hmm. I think he doesn't mind. I but guess. if there is bravado, and I here I speak as a fool, I can <laughs> indulge in it too. I can also yeah. sound foolish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this whole remember 10, 11, 12, 13 is the supposed or possible um, um, thing that's not 2 Corinthians. <laughs> so helpful. I love the, yeah, I love yeah, this part. Kinda... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I, I, I love this part... Uh, in uh, verse 22, which starts detailing, are they Hebrews? So am I. And then he goes, uh, are they servants of Christ? And in parentheses, I am out of my mind to talk like this. <laughs> so odd. Wait, what translation are you in? NIV. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Mine has that, but not in, not in parentheses. Yeah, the parentheses are sort of a, a post-Greek invention. Right. But in this, yeah, in this case, I, I think it's a good judgment call. Imagine he's dictating it, so he's probably. We already he's saw like, what, when you he put that, that in there. <laughs> he'd edit it. King James, it still does have the parentheses. It says, "I speak as a fool." Uh, in in uh, in eleven twenty three and also in eleven twenty one, there's parentheticals. I speak foolishly. I speak as a fool. And this is the first time he talks about being beaten by Jews and being on the run. Can I just say that the King James is way more fun to read at this point? <laughs> Because, I mean, Paul is boring as hell anyway. But, yeah. like, for example, in uh, 11, 2 Corinthians 11.21, we get this this fabulous concatenation of words that don't exist in modern English. How be it, whereinsoever any is bold. And how be it is one word, and so is whereinsoever. Verse <laughs> <laughs> uh, 2 just sounds weird. And that's just fantastic. And uh, if you're finding this 
too easy as uh, as a read, then I suggest flipping back to the KJV. It'll get you more like, what the hell is that? I'm adding where and so ever into my lexicon. There you go. And how be it? Well, you probably already had that in yours. So. Oh, I, oh, I do. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I don't mean to insult your intelligence. <laughs> Galatians? Galatians! So Galatians starts out with salutations. Mm-hmm. Is this a real of one course. or a fake one? This one, I don't this recall. Damien? Okay. Yeah, Galatians, Galatians is, is undisputed. Yeah. Real. Undisputed. It could have been a really clever forgery. Well, I mean, come on, it says Paul in verse 1. It's the first word in the book. Oh, the Depends game. on your version. I know, I know. <laughs> we get an introduction, and we find out that they're having some terrible mimetic difficulties. Whoa, whoa, explain that. Oh, in, I think it's verse 6, where he starts talking about uh, quickly deserting him, who he called Christ, and, like, basically not forsaking, like, the stories that they have or whatever. Okay, yeah, this is the whole, like, which gospel's the that's true the gospel way that I took it. Yeah, Right, right, okay. right, that you need to take this gospel and don't... If there's a gospel that's preached to you that's contrary to what we've pre- preached, then obviously it's incorrect, and... So, if an like, angel uh, from heaven comes down and preaches another gospel, I would tend to believe it because it's an angel from heaven. Not, but <laughs> but apparently, Paul, whoever this Paul guy is, is to be believed over an angel from heaven. Well, of course, he's, he's demanding a certain level of credulity from his readers. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> these are so these books are so shitty. Yeah, it does get somewhat repetitive. Um, so Galatians are apparently having trouble with false gospels and forgetting which one is the correct one, and Paul quickly sorts that out. I guess. And then talks about his travels. Wait, He's they like, don't I have the Arabia, guys. That's fun. Well, I don't. I don't think they're talking about like literally the gospels. I mean, like the conceptions of Jesus. Yes. Right. I, well, the gospel. I, I I think gospel in this sense is used as like the truth of what Jesus had come to do, or something like that. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's. Go ahead, Jason. Oh, I would assume it was just like different people that say they're eyewitnesses to Jesus telling different stories. Yeah. Then Paul's like, no, 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 no. It's it's just us. Well, and he really, I mean, has to kind of keep the church together. Like, I'm sure at this point they're kind of fragmenting apart. He's like, no, 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 this is the this is the true story. We'll stick with this one. Christianity fragmenting? Never. It's crazy talk. Did you have something you wanted to say, Abby? Um, no, I'm trying to get a feel on what this one was. You mean? Well, like what? I don't know. It's all just kind of blurring with the other ones. I'm trying to. Oh, this yeah. is. A... Oh. Sorry, go ahead. I'm trying to think of something that's unique to this one. Um, he does talk a lot. This is in chapter two where he starts talking about uh, the Jews and the Gentiles working together uh, through Peter. I think it was. Oh yeah, he gives some some history kind of. Right, and, and... what they've been up to. I wish I had kept all my notes from all my Jesus classes in college. <laughs> this is really helpful right now. Right. I had been entrusted with the gospel for Gentiles, as surely as Peter had been 
entrusted with the gospel for Jews. Right. So he's like he's taking on the Gentiles while Peter's handling the Jews. What verse is that? Oh, eight. two seven two eight. Two eight. Why does he switch back no. to Cephas in verse nine? Isn't Cephas Simon Peter? Yeah, he calls him Peter the entire time, and then verse nine says Cephas. <gasps> oh wow! Just trying to keep you in your toes. I, I guess a Cephas is a different person that they, like, consolidated. I, it, for continuity, I guess it would almost have to be, since he, he calls him Peter the entire book. I don't is know, more than one Peter? I noticed that all of a sudden. I assume he's still referring to Simon mm-hmm. Peter when he refers to Peter. Is this the book that talks about... This is the one that refers to his fight with Peter and the apostles in Jerusalem, isn't it? Refers to his fight... Where they had, like, disagreements. Well, in verse 11, he talks about how Cephas, or Peter... Yeah, maybe it is the same person. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was saying that he says Cephas, but he's saying that Cephas begins to to not dine with all the uh, uncircumcised, the Gentiles. Yeah. And they start to separate themselves, the Jews and the, the uncircumcised... And even Barnabas was led astray. I like bringing Barnabas up again. <laughs> yeah, see, I totally didn't catch that as the. So, what was the disagreement? Uh, Peter hates the Gentiles, basically. Okay, and then okay. Yeah, it's it's the like original apostles in Jerusalem don't want the Gentiles to be able to become Christians, I guess. Is the gist because they won't eat with them or hang out with them at all? Which I mean, Jesus gotcha. wasn't, didn't seem too fond of the Gentiles either. That's a theme throughout, like a lot of these Pauline letters, is about how he's fighting against these Judaizers, these these would be circumcisers who want to mm. spread Christianity at, at the point of a moil's knife. <laughs> I mean, it helps that Paul was just just ridiculously Hellenized. I, I suppose mm-hmm. it's one way to look at it. I like to think of it as one good character trait. He's against <laughs> uh, male genital mutilation. Oh, he oh he brings it up in the later one. I guess we'll get to it, but I really he's he said he says it's mutilation if you call it cir- circumcision. You're using a euphemism. Hmm? He actually says something like that. What? He does yeah, say we'll something about mutilation. I don't remember yeah. where. But I do I recall hearing in, that. I was like, what? I think it's Thessalonians. Oh, it? okay. Uh, maybe a messed up foreskin was Paul's thorn in the flesh. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one interesting way to explain why he says, I would that all men were as I am. That is to say, <laughs> sexually completely dysfunctional. Yeah, that's why he never married. So, we're so, Christ. Paul, in like verse, in chapter 3, Paul reinterprets... Um, the the Old Testament to say that anyone who following the law is under a curse. Yeah, like be done with the law, move on to the Gospels. And this this shows up. I mean, this is a reoccurring theme about being mm. under the curse of the law, and then Christ freeing us from the curse of the law. Oh. Later, this is, go ahead. You go ahead. No, I was just going to say, <laughs> my note on three was actually from verse 28 about the 
there being no Jew or Greek or slave or free man or male or female or everybody is one in Jesus. And I thought that was kind of an interesting statement. I know, and like terribly progressive by comparison to a whole right. lot of that wives submit to your husband shit, which we will get to shortly. Well, back in 3.14, um, Paul explains why he he's all for the, the Gentiles embracing Christ, and he explains why, because um, because of Abraham. Yeah. Um, never mind. Well, it's yeah. through Jesus Christ, but it started with Abraham. The blessing of Abraham. Oh, I mean, he went to up in, like, verse 9, he explained it. Hmm. The Gospel of Abraham. Never mind. I'm like this is all so confusing. I agree. It's kind of weird though. It's like if you follow the law, you're cursed. You need to follow faith. Yeah, basically. I don't get that. I think it's it's part of Paul's whole like cognitive dissonance resolution strategy. He's like, I can't handle the fact yeah. that I was persecuting these Christians who are really nice, uh, friendly, loving people, and so I'm going to turn my whole worldview on my head in order to get past it. So. I used to think Jesus was a terrible heretic. Now I think he's the Messiah. I, you know, I used to think the law was the way to salvation. Now I think that it has become uh, a stumbling block at best, or just a you know a way to illustrate how sinful you are and how much you need Christ instead. He's turned it all on yeah, his head he like... to get past his you know his nasty uh, migraine headache uh, inducing epiphany <laughs> thing. His fundamentalist Jewishness. Sure. However you want to see it, you know. He definitely, he fundamentally repudiates the law, like, over and over. He says, you don't have to do any of that. And yes, I intentionally... Yeah, good, good, pal- good palinism there. <laughs> Wait, did we miss where he um, explains his thingamajig? What? 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 Whoa. <laughs> Is that the thorn in the flesh you were talking about earlier? No, his um, his Damascan Road moment, doesn't he? Is that next chapter, next book? Somewhere in here, he's um, given his side of the story for the for the Damascan Road incident. Somewhere in the, with the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, he was in hiking the, the Appalachian Trail. It was just a. <laughs> <laughs> then he had a stroke. No, it, it's in Galatians one. I think we did miss it. We miss. Oh. oh my god! Yeah, we went right past this. Eleven through sixteen verses. Eleven through sixteen in chapter one. Oh wow! I know That's we blew right past it. Well, if we want to go back to it, so he's talking about how intensely he persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Blah blah blah, and he was becoming like super Jew, and <laughs> people thought he was really amazing as a Pharisee. <laughs> like modest Yahoo. Yes, just just like modest Yahoo. He did he did massive live shows, and then. <laughs> And then the actual conversion experience is, like, basically summed up in a really, really short... It's just, like, verse 15 and 16. That's it, right? Yeah. And then he abode with Peter. Right. So, apparently, if he had some amazing, like, vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus, he doesn't bother to mention it to the Galatians. So that's why we blew past it. Because <laughs> Paul did. Yeah, really... We're not the first ones to blow past this amazing... <laughs> Conversion, because he does it himself. Yeah, does he doesn't really mention that he saw Jesus. It seems like an important no, point to me. No. It's like, it's one thing to convert to a new religion. It's another thing to convert to a new religion because their dead founder appears to you in the sky. That, to me, is more impressive. It just says, he, it just says God chose to reveal his son to me. 
That's like that's all it says. And then suddenly he like he hightails it to Arabia. He's not even going to Damascus yet. So it definitely conflicts with eh, unless so it the road to Arabia. is Arabia on the road to Damascus. <laughs> I don't think it is. Not, not at all. Yeah, hmm. it's the complete opposite direction. <laughs> Well, maybe he was on the road to Damascus, and he just decides to go to Arabia first, and then go to Damascus. Later, he returned to Damascus. This is... I'm... Arabia's on the way if you're in, like, what, Oman or whatever's down there at the, <laughs> the southern end. Uh, I'm having trouble making sense of this. How does this even begin to comport with what we read in Acts? In the Bible doesn't make sense? That's crazy talk. <laughs> right now it doesn't make sense is why I've never seen this on the list of Bible contradictions. Seems like it should be on there. I heard it at some point. Because, you know, well, Arabia is a vague term. Like, Damascus is kind of just like in the north northwest corner of Arabia. Let's assume the translation yeah. of Arabia is, like, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, somewhat handily, Damascus is still where it is. So we kind of know where that is. <laughs> So, what about the bit in Galatians 4.10 about accusing them of observing days and months and seasons and years? and Like Christmas, are, for example. I know. And these are <laughs> elemental things. Don't be enslaved by them. Yeah. I fear for you. Yeah, what the hell, Galatians? Labored... <laughs> They're like recognizing Christmas and Easter and... What else are they recognizing other than Christmas and Easter? Uh, Ash Wednesday, Good Friday. What the hell? The Galatians? How dare you? Special I have labored days. over you in vain. Yeah, totally. Uh, Is that part of his anti um, his anti law sentiment? He's that's yeah. part of the law. All these dictates you don't need to follow. Whatever happened to keep the angry Pharisee out of Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it does seem to be a pretty strong invective against Christmas and any other religious holidays. Yeah. Because he's specifically saying... Puritans were against Christmas. Yeah, well, maybe they bothered to read Galatians 4, you know? I bet the Puritans also knew better than to pray after every touchdown, because they read the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't score touchdowns, all right? Hmm. Chapter 4, 13. Really? I was going to say... Okay, go for it. Yeah, 4, 13. Um, he says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. I like that. <laughs> what does that even mean? I have no idea. <laughs> to show scorn or disgust in the state of my poor body. Hmm. Yeah, I think there is there is a reference to his sickness, um, I think in Second Corinthians at some point. I don't know if it's... Because the chronology of these is a mystery, but... You think that's the same thing as the thorn in his flesh? He's just got some chronic thing going on? Oh, wait, no, because the... Which, which book is Thorn in the Flesh? Let me Google that. Second Corinthians 12. There's a lot of argument of whether it's a physical ailment or a spiritual attack. Personally, I think it was a demon of buggery. <laughs> <laughs> it was his addiction to strange women. Nope. Strange men. Which he apparently did not want circumcised. That's not how Paul rolls. Oh yeah, in five. Rolls all natural. I like. I don't understand how like American Christians can square this because like Americans are the only people who are circumcised, right? Besides the Jews. That's an inter- that's a, an interesting point. Yeah, I think that modernly Americans are the only first world nation still doing it. Uh, still doing it in mass. 
Yeah, but it's only like 50% now, roughly. But, and, I mean, Paul, I'm, he's, he's saying that Christians can't do it, so I don't get... Is he saying they can't do it, or it has no value? Those are different things. Well, he's saying, at, um, at 5.3, he says, everyone who's circumcised is under obligation to keep the entire law. And no, every man who lets himself be circumcised. Infants don't let themselves be anything. They just get cut up. Oh, my translation says receives circumcision. Oh, sorry. I, I think that the I think there's an element of volition there, depending on what translation you're looking at. Uh, when you seek to be justified by way of law, your relation with Christ is completely severed. That makes that makes it sound like volition. I mean, NIV it's really clearly talking about volition, but it's that's not clear in other translations. So never mind. Say so what about verse fourteen? Uh, I thought it was interesting that the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law. Right there. That's pretty good stuff. You know what would be cool is if, is if Paul actually mentioned that he was quoting Jesus. Oh, wait, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought it sounded familiar. So, I mean, of course, they're both quoting uh, a verse out of Leviticus, which is mostly a horrendous book with, like, a couple great gems in it, and this is one of them. Oh, yeah, 1918. Yeah. So hmm. Paul's quoting Leviticus, and then later on, the gospel writers have Jesus quoting that same bit of Leviticus. So apparently it was already uh, a, a considered a gem by the rabbinical elite at that, you know, in the first century. Uh, so it's, you know, yeah. it's hard to know if it was original with Jesus or Paul or whoever, because it was clearly in the air. Yeah, yeah in, in Leviticus, it doesn't actually, I mean, it just, it says you shall love your neighbor as a man like yourself. It doesn't say that's the most important um, commandment. No, and if you read the context of it, it doesn't appear to be emphasized or even go beyond, yeah. like, literally your neighbor, like your fellow Hebrew. Yeah, your in-group. Yeah, love your in-group as yourself, and enslave the others. Oh. And keep the virgins for so yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kill the men. Oh, they were... <laughs> And all the time they spent poring over those horrible books, they're like, well, this 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 law is pretty good, I think. <laughs> so it got emphasized. Cherry well, picking. you got to give them some yeah, credit it, for picking a real gem here. <laughs> Let's say, and it even carries on into 6. I mean, in verse 10 he says, let us do good to all people. Especially to those who are of the household of the faith, but still. Let oh, us do good to all people. Especially That's, the in-group. Right, right. Especially hey, the in-group. Especially the in-group is progress. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> As opposed true. to just the in-group. Oh, oh, and in, in 611, we get your favorite verse about the, uh, see what large letters I am writing to you <laughs> with my own hand. Now that's how you know he was dictating the rest of it. Oh, I love John that. Hancock like of him, isn't it? And yeah. Very John it's Hancock. such an artifact of the process. And it's like, you can tell, like, he's not a scribe. He probably has, like, horrible handwriting. You just John Hancock all the letters. Totally. Giant block letters. <laughs> That's how I write. <laughs> now, actually, I, I think... I think that the theory here at the end of uh, the book, Gal the Epistle to the Galatians, is that the whole thing was dictated except for 11 through 18 in chapter 6, right? And that verses 11 through 18 of chapter 6 were not dictated, but actually written by Paul, who was, like, I guess, nearsighted mm. or something. <laughs> so he's like... Well, do you write some of the other books? 
I know. I think he dictated. Well, I think the scholarly consensus is, is that he dictated most everything, oh. except for this part right here, where he's like, "See what large letters I use." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> can't spell too good. <laughs> that, that'd be interesting to see if he managed to nail uncircumcision in Greek. They got the spelling right there. <laughs> That's something I, uh, I I haven't done enough manuscript analysis to check for like spellos, but I'm, I'm guessing that spelling was flexible back then, like it was with early English. Just really like kind of kind of do phonetic, you know. You just put an mm-hmm. S on the end of everything. <laughs> that was an S, dude. Ephesians. Oh, wait, do we do Ephesians now? Quick go home. Ephesians. Yeah. Where's Ephesia? Let's see if we can rip through Ephesians in uh, the next 40 minutes and then sure. call it a night. It only has six chapters. It's a night. So Paul once again leads off this letter by saying, I'm an apostle, damn it! <laughs> how he leads off every letter, basically. Paul. An apostle, Jesus. An apostle. Where do we think that he got... Sorry, in, in reading this first chapter, he's basically... First time impossible, and then blah 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 blessings, and then he goes on this whole thing about redemption through his blood and everything else, like a basic synopsis of the sort of theology that he's proposing. And I had this funny, like, citation needed moment where it's like, is he where? Where exactly is this coming from? Like, is there some like this is the earliest of this tradition, right? So, oh. Is he making like this whole idea of saving by grace and and redemption through the blood of Jesus and and that sort of thing up, or is it like what what is he citing? Is he just like okay, believe this because I'm writing it and I'm a, <laughs> I'm an apostle? Like what what is oh, the well um, point of information? Um, this is one of the contested ones. Mm, yeah, okay. we don't know if Galatians so is really be. a Pauline epistle or not. Ephesians. Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, Ephesians. sorry. Yeah, Ephesians. that makes much more sense because it yeah. seems very, very presumptuous in the first. Because in the other stuff, he seems almost on the defensive. Like I'm an apostle, and because of this, this, and this, and also you know this, and this is why you know let it not be, and all these rhetorical devices. But it seemed like in this book, he starts out with a bunch of statements about. You know, he predestined us. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the the glory of his grace and his blood and all of this stuff. And I'm like, whoa, this is a completely <laughs> Very assertive. Yeah, all the yeah. other ones are just defenses for him being a total, total dick before. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry I killed a whole bunch of people. I'm a Christian now. He didn't kill him. He was just the, he was the what's it called? The guy that sits there. Right, he was the coat check girl. He's the cho- coat check boy. Yeah. <laughs> Cho- okay. so he was the chode chick where were we uh, Thanksgiving and prayer spiritual blessings yeah. where, where are we now you know well I think some, one of the reasons this might be so um, more upfront is because this dude is he's appropriating Paul's name for the for the street cred so he's using it to like he can he can say whatever he wants and be like Paul said it so this is all true he's just kind of like Okay. He has no insecurities okay. about being the real Paul because he's not. Yeah. <laughs> so, but by, by the time he's writing this letter, Paul is known to be authoritative, and there's no doubt about who, like, how authoritative Paul was as an apostle. 
Well, also, so, if, if it was known that Paul dictated his letters, you could just say that Paul dictated the letter and then send it out. Yeah. I'm sure okay. they always had, like, copies of copies. So the idea is that this was actually written by someone that said that Paul said it, not that it was a letter that was found at some point and then ascribed to Paul? Yeah, so like, those are... Those are yeah. Well, Those are two different it, things. Like to yeah, say that like somebody Hebrews. was right. Yeah, but this is this is this is what's called uh, pseudepigraphical. Yeah. It's claiming to be word for fake. yeah, fancy word, a very fancy euphemism for fake name. Right, right. But I mean, okay. So it's taken to believe that this was written by somebody who was pretending to be Paul, mm-hmm. not that it was found, and then somebody threw a couple of verses on the beginning and the end that said, oh yeah, by the way, this is by Paul. Does that make sense? Oh. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it could be hard to tell. It's very hard to tell, because you don't... We did don't a have, good job. Yeah, if we had any manuscripts that predated the uh, interpolation of, of the uh, introduction, then there's no way to know. Okay, yeah. I mean, how hard is it to tack on a few verses at the beginning that look just like the few verses at the beginning of the other epistles that Paul actually wrote? Any scribe can do that. It's being copied out by hand anyway. Good point. It just seemed like we'll we had two differing views and what this was. Like, whenever you said that this was a contested epistle, then I was like, oh, okay, it was a letter that they found and then said, oh, Paul must have written this. This sounds like something he'd say. And then you seem to be taking a very different angle that it was like somebody in the church wrote it and was using all of this liberty because they were under the name under the flagship of Paul, and so obviously people are going to listen to it. Do you guys feel like the, the authorial tone is different in this book than in the other epistles? I think in the first chapter, like, or in the first bit, I I felt like it was. Um, later, later, it goes back a little bit. But I definitely think, like, there's a, there's a big difference in the first few chapters of this book, where he goes completely into theology, and it's not like the explained theology... It's like a bunch of statements. It's like the Christianity it, it, that that you hear preached in the church is the total like okay we're you know there's all of these statements right in a row that are total theology that aren't like the other epistles. Paul is explaining like oh because this was written and oh because you know this is of the law and this isn't of the law or, or whatever he says. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't get that at least in these first two chapters. The rest of it. I mean, was more. He also uh, only uses boast one time in the first three chapters. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like his favorite word. Mm-hmm. Boast and boastful. Never. Didn't even neglect to use boastful at all. That's kind of weird. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Mm-hmm. Continuing. Um, My notes say that um, some scholars dated to around 100 AD, which is really interesting, because that's later than the Gospels. That's like... Really, really, really late. Yeah. So I mean, that could account if that's right. That could that would account for the developed doctrine, even though it doesn't. It still doesn't mention much about the gospel. Okay, where are we? <laughs> somewhere um, in somewhere Ephesians. In this, We're somewhere in it, Ephesians. Did you guys get anything out of Ephesians? Um, I have something in four. If no one has anything sooner, I have nothing. Nope. Nope. Yeah. I, I mean, I read the um, whole stuff, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard it all before. Yeah. Totally. For this, this interesting. Um, bit where he quotes the Old Testament, um, chapter four, verse eight. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the captives. He's, yeah, he's stealing from Psalm sixty-eight, mm-hmm. but he alters the text. 
What? It's like the most butchered misquote in the Bible yet. Well, that's 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 saying a lot because we've seen yeah. some some pretty butchered stuff. So Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen, right? Yeah, let me turn this Which reads roughly as, When you ascended on high, you took many captives, you received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. Uh, which, which verse are we in? It's not butchered in That's my translation, but I guess in your translation it's butchered? Did you compare... Wait, Psalm 68, 18. Mm-hmm. It's, Thou didst go up to thy lofty home with captives captives in thy train, having received tribute from men in the presence of the Lord God, no rebel can live. And then, in Ephesians, it's he ascended into the heights with captives in his train. He gave gifts to men. Oh, gave Is that not how it's translated? Okay, so it goes from taking tribute to giving gifts. Yeah. Wow, that doesn't make any sense. And it's, of course, it's taken out of context. It's not talking about someone going to heaven. It's talking about... um, It's talking about somebody that wins in battle, right? I mean, in Psalm 68, it's talking about a, 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 a victor of, of a battle. Is that right? It's talking about God. Yeah, but what was God doing? He was toppling the kings of Bashan. He was toppling these other kings. And, you know, the chariots of God, they they took captives. Yeah. And then the people of God received tribute from the conquered people, right? Isn't it about a military conquest? Yeah, by God. So then he goes up. Oh, so I guess he goes up to his lofty well, home, which is Well, it's not just by God. I mean, God doesn't mountain. own his own chariots. He he hires out the military stuff to Israel, right? Oh, I was yeah. going to say later in five, there's all the stuff about uh, marriage starting in twenty two about being subject to your husbands uh, and husbands like being one body and loving your wives and all this stuff. Um, but there's there's minus minus the hate rhetoric. Like there's not there's not a cause in there about I wish I wish you wouldn't marry you should only marry if you're filled with lust like if you're gonna burn with lust right right so I I think that definitely plays into the idea that this is a completely different tone than the ones that were in by Paul like I mean he had some pretty strong words about marriage did he not and then this is just a very like end of days mentality like it's it's, it's, if you're gonna go a horn around you might as well just get married exactly. But but that's completely lacking from this twenty two through I guess thirty three the end of Ephesians five. Um, so I guess that would play into the whole idea that this is a uh, something later and something not Paulian. Because an, an apocalyptic movement eventually has to get used to the fact that they're still around, which means yeah. you know <laughs> you got to get married and have kids and keep the movement going. Or you could be like the Shakers and be like, never mind, we're just never going to get married and die out as a movement. <laughs> Go Shakers. <laughs> Don't they still exist to some extent? Two of them. Yeah, it sounds like, oh, we're the ones in... I mean that literally, Jason, there are two of them left. The Samaritans oh, are doing that too. Isn't two really, really old women? Yes, two really, really old virgin women. Oh, that's God, it's got to suck. Yeah, I think you're right, Paul. Um, this Paul would not... I mean, he'd have to throw in some of his ickiness in. He he couldn't discuss it. Yeah, he couldn't just talk about marriage without disparaging it at some point. Yeah. That's not very Pauline of him. And, like, theoretically, if it was him and he changed his views, but didn't, like, explain it, then what's it mean that we have two holy books in the Bible that contradict each other? Like, even if Paul had, like, a 
he changed his mind? I mean, we still have the Bible saying two different things. Well, I'm not so sure that they contradict. Like, he's just lacking. He doesn't really make a judgment on whether or not yeah, marriage is right or wrong. I'm saying in general, if like, that ever happened at some point, it would be an interesting question. Okay, yeah. So, uh, also, uh, something new we get out of the book of Ephesians is this martial metaphor, this armor of God and sword of the spirit and helmet of salvation stuff, which I'm oh, yeah. pretty sure yes, yes. we haven't seen before in the writings of Paul. <clears throat> I think I saw it in Jesus camp. Yes. But then I you saw, also saw them saw, pray on a cardboard cutout of George W. Bush. That I saw it in Sunday school. Okay, guys, stay with me here. Uh, <laughs> the The point is that I mean, it's it's an interesting analogy. It'd be kind of fun to rewrite it in modern terms. I mean, the helmet would still be a helmet, but the sword would be like an automatic rifle of some sort. The M sixteen. Yeah, and the shield the shield would be like the Kevlar of faith. <laughs> the flak vest of faith. Yes, the flak vest of faith, with which you can extinguish the f- the I the IED of. <laughs> the IED of the evil one. The belt of truth would still be the belt of truth, though. Yeah, I don't even... It's a utility belt of truth. It's got a bunch of batarangs on it. Yeah. And anyway, the point is, he's using this martial metaphor, which is very um, specific to this time and place, and not... Um, I don't remember seeing it anywhere in the New Testament until now. I remember making this shit out of cardboard and VBS. <laughs> <laughs> It's oh good to know God. that you share. You have those traumatic memories still within you. <laughs> oh, they're they're buried deep, deep in there. Before we're done with chapter six, we can't um, we can't brush past the fact that they uh, that Paul gives rules over on how, how to treat your slaves. Oh, yes. yeah, my favorite verse. Verse five. <laughs> yeah, we cannot brush past that. No, it's not how to treat your slaves, it's how slaves are supposed to act. It's true. I thought it was reciprocated, though. But yeah. Yeah, he says, yeah. Slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Which is how you want your slaves to behave, right? Yeah. I mean... Yeah. Many, it, it, you know one of the great things about Google Books is you can look up the sermons that were preached by abolitionists and anti-abolitionists right before the Civil War. <laughs> and you'll find that the anti-abolitionists have a lot more scripture on their side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was actually thinking. Yeah, verse five, and then sorry. Yeah, they've got loads of like verses where the New Testament writers are explicitly saying, you know, be a good slave. Don't be a bad slave. The whole book of Philemon. Don't be so uppity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that word appears in the New Testament, but I get where you're going for. Well, and he goes on in one of the later epistles and talks about slaves even more, which kind of made me have an interesting thought today. Um, when I was going over my notes, was I wonder if anybody's compared the number of verses in the New Testament that deal with homosexuality versus the numbers of verses in the New Testament that deal with how you're supposed to treat your slaves. Oh, <laughs> slaves get way more bad. Exactly. Way more. <laughs> you just get, like, one verse. Yeah. And and also, like, like Paul takes uh, stands firmly on the wrong side of history on both of those issues, I should mention. The slaves <laughs> entire book. Paul's like, damn those homosexuals, but come on, just, you know, be kind of nice to your slaves. <laughs> don't, don't kill them. <laughs> don't beat them too hard. If I even go back and apologize and hopefully he doesn't kill you. 
I've actually heard real people in real life say, well, look, biblical slavery wasn't that bad. I mean, the masters weren't supposed to beat their slaves. (laughs) And I'm I'm like, wow, is this happening? Wait, what year is it? Slavery is slavery. Yeah, I think owning people is probably just, as an institution, a bad idea. But you have to say, well, it wasn't that bad. It's bad. Are we almost done with Ephesians? Did we cover everything of interest in Ephesians? Sure. Uh, I think so. I can see that. Really, six chapters. I, well, let me just say, at the beginning of Ephesians six, Paul's doing a little bit of Old Testament exegesis, which is kind of fun because it feels like he's like preaching a traditional sermon, you know, where you open the holy book and start explaining it. And mm-hmm. you know, he's saying like, "This is the first commandment in the Ten Commandments that comes with a promise." You know, and you're like, "Oh, yeah, I guess it is." It just feels like the kind of thing a pastor would do. He, like, opens the old book and says, look, you know, here's something kind of interesting about... You go to the list of Ten Commandments and it's just do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And this one is different because it comes with a promise attached to it. And that feels like homily. It feels like sermonizing. I don't know if you guys got that out of Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. But I did. I was like, ah. I think that's one of Paul's little, um, you know... Not Paul. Pseudo-Paul. Whoever wrote Ephesians. Paul. <laughs> it feels like something from a, a sermon. It's good advice. It's Ephesians one, Ephesians 6, 1-3. It's just the sort of thing I would actually like tell my kids to do. Except for the in the Lord part, I guess. <laughs> do not exasperate your children. That's, that's a good one. Actually, it is more interesting than the King James. Because my wife was, con- she was the other day getting on to me for provoking my children to wrath. <laughs> which I was actually doing. Do you guys think we can rip through Philippians in 20 minutes or less, or should we just hold off on it until next time? I'm kind of out of steam. Me too. I, I've been drinking heavily. <laughs> shit right now. Works for me. We can save Philippians and Colossians for next week. Hooray! Yeah.